Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 49th episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, fresh off the car ride back to Denver, back home to be close to Adam, Zach Pensack. Adam Goffin, joining me today. How are you doing today? Footy, Zach. Longest season ever footy. I saw something right before the final weekend that said with Europa League qualification matches, Wolves had played over an entire calendar year in one season, which is a preposterous thing to say. It's kind of crazy to think about, isn't it? And who knows, they could be uh, they could be playing more matches and then blending right into the next season again. It's uh, less than, well, not less than a month, but it's the next calendar month, I should say, before the, the next Premier League season starts. Pretty crazy to think of. Yeah, hopefully Andy Carroll just lies in a bed where he's safe for the entirety of that month, so he doesn't <laughs> doesn't pull his hair straight. Um, we got a baby him, Zach. We got a baby him. Absolutely, uh, the local lad. So uh, we have a lot on the dock for today. Um, as we'll touch upon a bit later in the podcast, we actually are not going to do our season recap episode just quite yet. We'll be saving that for our next episode. Um, That being said, quick shout out and plug the lads at CHN Radio, Greg and Elijah, as well as Graham, who joined, did a great season recap. So I would love for everyone to to go give those a listen. You can listen to that uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. But we'll be coming to you in a a couple weeks with uh, one of our own. Yep, we absolutely will. Looking forward to it. Shout out to Greg and Elijah, as you mentioned. Zach, officially the second best podcast on the Coming Home Newcastle Network. Great podcast, but we're super great, Zach, on the False Nines here. Super great. Yeah, you, you love those descriptive adjectives to, to really put us over the line. Um, Just love the power at home, Zach. Power yeah, at home. Absolutely. So as I mentioned, a lot uh, on store for today. Um, we'll be talking about who qualified for European football, uh, the end of the relegation battles, uh, and then after taking a quick commercial break, we'll we'll jump into European football, what's left of it for this season, the Europa League and the Champions League restarting this week. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we will wrap it up with 10 and 90. So uh, a meaty episode today, Adam, and why don't we get started? Let's do it. We're going to try and fit a lot in. So let's go quick today, Zach. All right, we will run. Uh, okay, great. So First things first, who got European football? So the Premier League concluding its season about a week and a half ago. Um, Liverpool, Manchester City were already in the Champions League spots, uh, but it was really three through six that we were talking about in our last episode. um, And that also has been solidified. Manchester United and Chelsea uh, taking up the remaining two spots to qualify for the Champions League and then Leicester and Tottenham through the league getting Europa and uh, as of this past weekend uh, Arsenal will be joining them as via the FA Cup so uh, currently seven teams that will be playing in Europe and potentially eight actually if Wolves are able to win the Europa League we'll see eight Premier League teams in Europe does that devalue Europe to you Adam? I don't think so. I think we've been here before, right? I think we've definitely had teams. We've had five teams in the Champions League before from from the UK. So I, I just actually look at it a different way, Zach. I look at it as the quality of the Premier League as a league within Europe necessitates that we have this many teams representing England in it. That's my personal opinion. 
I think that's fair. Um, starting from the top down, though, the, the teams that will be performing at the highest level, uh, Manchester United uh, getting that win against uh, Leicester to, to put them over the line for, for third in the table. Um, you, you'd have to consider it a pretty successful season this year. They had their ups and downs, but, um, you know, a good season. And what do you think are their goals going into next campaign? It's a great, great point. I think, you know, take you back a year ago when we were starting the season, I think Solskjaer was certainly top three to be fired, if not the top manager um, in terms of the bookies' favorite to to be fired earliest in the season. Um, he survived the season. He took Manchester United to a third place finish after you know some some iffy moments where there were definitely there was definitely calls from from fans to to potentially wield the axe a little bit earlier. But in his credit, he's stuck it through. And I think the big thing for Manchester United was that signing of Bruno Fernandez. I think that actually turned their season somewhat and helped really elevate them with their kind of front four that we've talked about on previous podcasts to push them on to get into to third place. So in answer to your question, what are the realistic goals for next season? Certainly not more than the third place that they finished in this season, but looking at the league table, they're 33 points off the pace off the pace of the champions. I see them potentially wanting to make a run in a domestic cup and maybe narrowing that gap of 33 points somewhat between themselves and Liverpool, the champions. Yeah, I think it, it behooves Manchester United to, to not try to rush the project that they are building at the moment. A lot of youth in that team. Bruno Fernandes, certainly the star. Eight goals and seven assists in 14 matches since signing in January. A pretty incredible return on investment. Uh, but I agree with you. I think that slimming the gap uh, and not trying to overextend themselves to to win a title that they probably can't win at the moment um, and, and really restructuring that defense, I think, is a... A big part for them. Uh, going on from Manchester United uh, down to London, Chelsea, another team with a kind of an interesting season. Um, you know, definitely came out of the gates firing. They had their youth performing at really high levels. Lampard was being, you know, labeled as a genius. And then they, they had a bit of a rocky end to the season. So overall, like, what, what do you think of what they've done in this campaign? I, I think we should do the same thing that we did with Manchester United here and take, take ourselves back a year, right? This this season, I think, was potentially being looked at by Chelsea's fans as, as kind of a write-off season before it even started. They had no transfer opportunities in the last summer window. They weren't able to bring anybody in. Lampard was just really there working with what he already had in terms of the playing squad there. So I think realistic, if, realistically, if you'd asked Chelsea fans before the season, they'd have been happy with the European place. Not necessarily a Champions League place. But a, I would say a Europa League spot would they'd have been delighted with. As the season progressed, it became clear that the talent that Lampard had at his disposal in terms of the youth that he had was exceptional. And if groomed the right way, I think that you know they've they've got many many years of, of great seasons ahead of them. But I think the big thing for me, Zach, is is the defense right now. As Piliqueta looks like he's on the way out, he's in his early 30s, he's picking up injuries. To me, he's not the player that he used to be. Like they need a full defensive overhaul um, and a new goalkeeper in order to really compete and continue to propel themselves up the league. Yeah, so I, I misspoke a little bit when I criticized the defense of Manchester United as they actually had one of the better defenses in the Premier League. But as you just mentioned, Chelsea shipped 54 goals this season. That's the most in the top six by uh, uh, it's by seven goals over, over Tottenham. So I agree with you. I think that that's the big focal point for, for Chelsea. Um, and 
it, it will be exciting next season. They finally are allowed to spend again and spend they already have, bringing in Timo Werner from RP Leipzig, bringing in Heim Zayek from uh, Ajax, the star of Ajax's Cinderella run last season in the Champions League, and Kai Havertz might be on the way as well, another mm-hmm. starlet out of Germany. Um, so it, it is going to be just you know more and more depth up front, but I agree. The biggest question is can they restructure that defense because – as we've seen time and time again in football, you can have all the attacking power in the world, but if you have a leaky defense, you're not going to go too far. Yeah, you look at that kind of top six of the table and behind Liverpool and Manchester City, who offensively, of course, are just incredible. 102 goals for Man City on the season. Chelsea have the third highest in the league at 69 goals. So 69-4, 54 against, and then you look at the other teams that make up the top six. Manchester United, 36 goals conceded. 18 less than Chelsea, and then 41 and 47 for Spurs. And Spurs obviously are in need of some defensive help as well. So um, I I think they know exactly where they need to strengthen. I'm kind of surprised that they so early on are strengthening in areas that aren't defense, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I'd agree with that. We'll we'll see. It's going to be a big test on Frank Lampard to see how he is able to rotate that squad because you had players like Tammy Abraham who came off to a firing start and then cooled off in the second half of the year. Um, Will he be even maybe third in the pecking order behind Giroud, who had a fantastic uh, playing run after the restart? Certainly will be behind Timo Werner, the big money signing. And then you have Hudson-Odoi, you have Pulisic, you have Willian, who still isn't definitely going to be leaving Chelsea. Um, so it will be interesting for them. But again, a pretty positive uh, end to the season for, for the Blues. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I'll pivot us on now into fifth position because I want to ask you with your rose-colored spectacles what you think of Leicester's season and their fifth-place finish after being eight points clear of Manchester United following the COVID break and then finishing four points behind. I think of all the teams in the top six, I think Leicester has to be the most disappointed with how they finished. And I, I know that's weird to say because, you know, the the age-old adage, they would have shook your hand off if you told them they would finish fifth at the beginning of the season. But I don't think that you can say that after the collapse that they did have in the second half of the season. I don't think that's a legitimate statement to say, oh, they would have loved a fifth-place finish. You, you don't love it after you were six points up on... Manchester City in second uh, at Christmas. So uh, I think it has to be considered a a somewhat disappointing end to the season. Maybe overall, it'll be good for them to get back into Europe. Uh, They did suffer a number of injuries and key players. Harvey Barnes was out for a while. Yuri Tillemans, Wilfred Ndidi all suffered injuries throughout the season. James Madison as well. So the influential players, but um, you know, they, they were able to, to just crawl into Europe and uh, I would love to see them with a healthy uh, squad if they're able to keep Soyuncu. I think that's maybe the biggest question for them this summer. Uh, if they can keep their young Turkish center back who's been attracting attention from the top of the table, uh, I would love to see them make a run at Europa next season. Yeah, I think that's a good point. When you think about it realistically from a European competition standpoint, Leicester in the Champions League, it's, it's never going to happen, right? I mean, we, we said a few years ago, Leicester winning the Premier League would never happen. Touche, fair point. But the, the quality of teams in the Champions League, I could never see Leicester winning that. I could potentially see them making a good run in the Europa League, though. Mm-hmm. I agree, yeah. I think they have the markings of, similar to Sevilla, who had that run of four years of winning the Europa League in the past decade. Um, a lot of young attacking talent and a team that doesn't really fear any other club. So I agree with that. I, I would love to see Leicester compete in the Europa League next season. Yep, 
Absolutely. Okay, on to the uh, the sixth spot in the league and the final league placing wise um, qualifier for Europe. Tottenham Hotspur, Zach. What was your overall thought of their season? Obviously, we had a change in manager halfway through. But how do you ultimately think that Mourinho did for them? Um, it's tough to judge Mourinho uh, on you know such a little time with the club. I think that again, I think similar to Leicester, a, a European place uh, is you know is beneficial for Spurs to have because they they are somewhat undergoing a bit of a kind of a, a rebirth and uh, they're trying to find their identity. I think my biggest worry, and I've had many a long conversation with my father and brother who are, are big Spurs fans about this, is the lack of identity at that club right now and the fact that you have a manager in Jose Mourinho who has made his name on playing defensive defensive football and playing this kind of unexciting but effective style football that grinds out results and I just feel that Tottenham Hotspur at the moment in their personnel is not built for that style football they're built for this exciting attacking football that Maurizio Pochettino made a five-year project to construct you have players like Hyung Min Son I thought Giovanni Lo Celso looked really promising in the second half of the season. Lucas Mora picked it up quite a bit. Um, Harry Kane obviously is a, just a territorial striker. So I, 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 my biggest concern with Spurs is that they they have pieces to move their club forward, uh, but I don't think that Mourinho is the manager that can lead them on that path. Yeah, I think uh, I would tend to agree with you there. And when I think about Spurs. Season over season, their final game of the season in the 2018-2019 season um, was the Champions League final, and they lost that to Liverpool, but they were in there competing for the biggest prize in Europe. Fast forward a year, it's 2019-2020, their last game of the season is them squeaking into Europe, in, and specifically into the Europa League, so it's certainly been a bit of a fall from grace for them. Um, Part of it you can attribute, of course, to Pochettino. I don't think you can play, place all the blame solely at Mourinho's door. But Daniel Levy's brought in Mourinho to win trophies. It remains to be seen whether he can do that or not. Yeah, I, I do think there has to be a regression there. But um, I just like I, I don't know what you're really excited about as a Spurs fan because although they have a lot of exciting players, it, ultimately it goes down to the manager how he wants the team to play for him. And Mourinho is not a man who will play. Exciting football, Sam. I'll tell you what you're excited about, Zach. Harry Kane, yeah, obviously. Yeah, obviously, Harry Kane. Obviously, Harry Kane is... I mean, the thing about Harry Kane is that you he does get counted out quite a bit, I think, um, due to injuries maybe. And he'll see these drops in form, but then he'll just have a run of four or five games where he scores every game, and they're all these like incredibly consistent poacher finishes and I think that that's the thing about Harry Kane is besides those what, what's become his trademark goal cutting in from the the left and curling it back post besides that most of his goals I, I think on first glance do not seem terribly impressive but then you, you watch it time and time again and you're just like he is always placing the ball exactly where it needs to be placed with the exact amount of pace that it needs to be placed and I think that I mean, I've said this before. If Harry Kane stays in Europe, he will shatter Alan Shearer's goal record. And I still think that that is true. Yeah, I think when I think about great strikers, I think about first, who are strikers that could score a Premier League hat-trick, right? And then I think, who are strikers that could score a Premier League hat-trick with one goal being a left-footed shot, one goal being a right-footed shot, and one goal being a header? And Harry Kane kind of checks all those latter boxes for me. He's the complete striker. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Yeah, he, he really does bring everything to the table that you need in a number nine, uh, despite the fact that he doesn't always wear the number nine. He has worn the number 10 for uh, England in the past. So uh, Harry Kane, though, England superstar. Uh, all right. So final team um, that we are, are looking at in the, the top half of the table uh, who, well, I guess Wolves still in Europa League, but not qualifying for Europe. Um, but I, I would say pretty pretty much exactly what you expected out of Wolves this season. Yeah, I mean, the, the question I would ask is, from a league placement standpoint, they qualified for the Europa League last season. They certainly didn't do that on league merit this year. But I would say they also had a kind of weaker start to the season, and then they kind of picked up and post-COVID had a, had a great, great run of form. So ultimately, if you're asking me the question, I think probably... Nuno is happy with that season, would you say? Yeah, I, I think so. I agree. They looked fantastic out of the, the break. Um, Diego Jota, um, Raul Jimenez continued to score in bunches. Uh, I thought Johnny Otto was, was one player that stuck out to me. Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, two years ago, three or rather three years ago, Wolves was in the championship. And the fact that they are now battling for Champions League places and still in uh, could potentially be in the quarterfinals of the Europa League, I don't think there's anything you could be upset about if you're a Wolves fan. No, I think I think that's a great point, right? And and you and I think it's understated sometimes, but the actual the real physical toll and the emotional mental toll of playing a season of Europa League football and progressing far in the tournament, like a lot of teams after they go through that, they underperform that following season because of just the fixture congestion and the amount of games that they have to play. Wolves have qualified uh, not qualified, but have got to seventh place and potentially could qualify in spite of their involvement in the Europa League. So I think that's something we should would give should give them some credit for. They don't have the depth of a squad like a Manchester United have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's been an impressive few years, and I think Nuno continues to cement his name amongst uh, elite managers in the Premier League and in Europe. Uh, so from there, though, we will go to the final team that has qualified for Europe. It's Arsenal, and that's via the FA Cup, as we mentioned. So Arsenal this past weekend, a 2-1 victory in the FA Cup final over London rival Chelsea. Uh, a pretty exciting match, I would say, Adam. Yeah, very exciting match. It um, it started very, very quickly out of the gate. Um, your boy Christian Pulisic with what what I'll, I'll admit was a wonderful goal. Um, flicked on from Giroud, left foot turned inside about 6 to 10 yards out, and then a beautiful kind of dinked finish um, for the 1-0 lead very, very early doors. Um, so that kind of game progressed then. We got to the water break, the mid-half water break in the first half, and I think that kind of turned the game on its head. I want to pause there for a second, Zach, because we haven't talked about this too much yet, but it's dawned on me that these water breaks are more tactical breaks than they necessarily are rehydration breaks. And the purpose of them, to remind our listeners, was that we brought these in because for the first time in a long time, we're playing Premier League standard matches during the summer, during the heat of the summer. Whether that's hot or not in the UK remains to be seen. It's warmer than it typically is during game time. So... What's your perception been of these water breaks so far, Zach? Do you think they've been a positive or a negative to the game? I I think that they've been a positive overall, um, ignoring the kind of health and, and you know, uh, um, hydration benefits to them. I, I do think that what is interesting about the water breaks is it essentially turns 
football from a uh, match of two halves to a match of four quarters. And it's exactly what you just mentioned, Adam. You are able to give this tactical kind of report to your players and advice and, and tweak certain things. I personally don't have any problem with it. I understand how you know some folks in in Britain and in Europe who are you know are very opposed to four quarters in football might have an issue, but I think that it just it it puts a little bit more onus on the manager. And as we saw in the FA Cup final, it allows a manager to make the alterations that are needed to to kind of turn a game on its head. Yep, exactly, and and turn the game on its head it did. So immediately following that. Um, we saw a penalty, long ball over the top, um, and a pullback from Aspilicueta on Aubameyang that led to a penalty, 1-1. Of course, Aubameyang scores from the spot. Why wouldn't he? That's what he does. Um, as the game progressed, we saw injuries. Aspilicueta went off in the first half. Pulisic was looking dangerous every time he went forward. He pulled a hamstring early in the second half. Uh, and was replaced by Pedro. And then later on in the game, right at the end, Pedro actually had a pretty serious shoulder injury that happened for him. So as Piliqueta, Pulisic, Pedro will get to Europe a little bit later on, they'll all be out of the game against Bayern Munich this weekend, though. So as the game progressed, of course, with all those injuries, um, and then one last thing that happened was Kovacic was sent off for a second yellow. Shocking decision from from the referee. Xhaka had his foot on top of Kovacic. It was a soft yellow, second yellow card. Bye-bye Kovacic and bye-bye Chelsea's chances in this game. Mm-hmm. I think that the injury, in my opinion, the injury to Pulisic was the one that essentially kind of, I, I, the writing was on the wall right when that happened because you're right, he was the most dangerous player on, on the field and uh, credit to him. You, you could actually see he was on uh, a bit of a two-on-two breakaway and you could see that his hamstring went like, 15 yards before he took a shot and he kept running and was screaming in pain, took his shot, went out. Um, so yeah, I think that once Pulisic went out, I think the air was essentially taken out of Chelsea. Um, and yeah, that, that decision as, I mean, a red card will always change the complexity to a match, but, uh, again, uh, PRM Merkabumiang getting, uh, the goal to ultimately win that match for, Arsenal um, and what a season Aubameyang had just going from strength to strength and at 31 now does not seem to be slowing down at all it's you know Adam it's Jamie Vardy winning the golden boot and Aubameyang finishing just right behind him it's it's the year of the aged striker in the Premier League (laughs) it certainly is and it's the year of the aged striker performing at the highest not playing in the Champions League next season as well and I think that brings up a great point Aubameyang for me is too good a striker to not be playing in the Champions League successive seasons. So, um, in my opinion, Aubameyang is probably going to be on his way this summer. It's going to be really, really tough to keep him. Like They can offer him all the money in the world, but at 31, to me, he's got to leave and pursue Champions League football on the remaining peak years of his career. It is, yeah. I mean, that's that's the biggest question for Arsenal this summer. Bigger than any signing is can they keep Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang uh, as he is one of the best strikers in Europe at the moment. Uh, there was a really great uh, article written in The Athletic about his relationship with Mikel Arteta and the, you know, obvi- the obvious desire for Arsenal to keep him. I think I agree with you that, you know, he, he kind of, he he's hinted at wanting to make that move and i i think that it will be 
it will be a tough parting, but I think that he has to do what's best for him and, and go to a club. Maybe it's Real Madrid. Uh, maybe it's Barcelona. We've heard rumors of Luis Suarez potentially moving on, as well as Kareem Benzema, who's getting up in years. But I agree with you. I think that I think that Aubameyang, despite the fact that you know he clearly has a great relationship with all the teammates and, and the coaches at Arsenal, he should be playing Champions League football. You know where I could see him going? I could see him going to PSG. I mm. think potentially going to France, going to a team that is consistently in the Champions League year after okay. year. They okay. win they win Ligue 1 at a canter. But you think outgoing at that club, you've got Cavani leaving the club this offseason, bringing in someone like Aubameyang to replace him. I mean, that's a phenomenal signing for them, right? That I mean, that would be yes. That that would be a fantastic signing. Oh, what about what about an Aubameyang return to return to Borussia Dortmund? What if he goes back to the club who who made him what he was after? Well, after Saint Etienne, but that would be that would be something. One that do you see? Do you see him filling in, fitting into the same lineup as your boy there? Who's who's my boy at, at Dortmund? Your boy, Mister Holland. Oh yeah, I guess they can't play two up top. I don't know when. When did I say that Holland was my boy? You've always been a big fan of Erling Holland. You've been saying you... that he's like one of the top prospects in uh, in European football for the longest time. Come on. I think I think that every every single person who watches European football says that. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, a I think ta- that a it... lot of talent there. But he hasn't done it all yet, Zach. That's sure. He's twenty years old. I mean, I don't know how he would have done it all, but. Uh, anyway, um, Bundesliga aside, um, yeah, a good entertaining FA Cup. Yep, it was really, really good. Two, two closing thoughts that I want to ask, uh, kind of tell you my thoughts and ask your opinion on. Christian Pulisic, are you concerned about the injuries? I'm concerned about that injury in particular because it was a non-contact injury, um, but I don't think that, I think that that's one of those things that you can't really, you can't really prepare for, nor can you really put as a knock against him um i i don't think that injuries are necessarily a concern with him i think it's more just getting him back to full strength and then i i don't know i i don't think there's really much that you can kind of predict to to happen to him health-wise in the future yeah i think i, I read an article about the soft tissue injuries and how for strikers that you know want to get a full head of steam and and run at defenders once they start to get repeat injuries like hamstrings and other types of soft tissue injuries they ultimately have that in the back of their mind they're nervous about getting into full gear because they feel like that's going to like pull their hammy or something so hmm. remains to be seen he's had two hamstring injuries this season we'll, we'll see how that pans out he's, he's got a few weeks to get ready for the new season now and the last point i wanted to make on this game was Mikel arteta right I, I read this stat arteta in six months has won more trophies than his north london rival uh, Pochettino did in six years at Arsenal. So wow. put think think about that. Put that into perspective, right? And this is a coach that has come with no previous experience in terms of being the person leading the team and managing the team. He's learned obviously under one of the greatest in the game in Pep. But shout out, shout out to him. I think it's been fantastic. It's been really, really fantastic season for Arteta after coming in just before Christmas. Two, two North London clubs going in somewhat opposite directions right now, Tottenham, yep. Tottenham and Arsenal. Uh, um, so t- t- non-sequiturally going into clubs who are definitely going in the wrong direction, uh, we, we did see, you know, obviously the, the final stage of the relegation battle uh, on the final week. 
and uh, a bit of a, a bit of an entertaining one it was. It was Aston Villa surviving, as you and I both predicted, uh, with Bournemouth and Watford going down. So I guess we we can we can briefly touch on Villa. They survived with a one-one draw against West Ham, um, which was quite interesting as Jack Grealish scored a gorgeous, gorgeous goal in the 84th minute that seemed to guarantee Villa's safety. Uh, but Yarmolenko scoring uh, for West Ham just 100 seconds later on a massive deflection. And based on the other results, a second West Ham goal would have put Villa down on goal differential. And that was based on a pretty emphatic Bournemouth win against Everton that I will say I did call because I hate Everton because of how bad they are all the time. And I knew they would lose that match because they're a terrible football club and they never perform well. And how can you support Everton? End of done. I like your rant against Everton. They're definitely an inconsistent team. To close the loop on Villa, I was disappointed in West Ham. I kind of wish that Man U would have beaten West Ham earlier that week when West Ham picked up a point at Old Trafford and they'd have had something to play for because it might have been a different game. I thought West Ham were abysmal in that game. They didn't give a shit. They came not to play, but they came just to kind of round out their season and celebrate the fact that they stayed up. Good for them. They did it. But I didn't think that Villa had a lot of opposition on that day. and I was disappointed with West Ham showing. Fair enough, but in in that same mindset, Villa shouldn't have taken until the 84th minute to score then if they were playing against an opposition that wasn't playing. I totally agree, and and that's why I think it would have been a much more interesting last game had West Ham needed something from it. So. Fair yeah. Okay, I agree with that. Um, but but on to Bournemouth, who did get that win against Everton, a, a win that uh, unfortunately turned out to, to mean nothing for them. So talking about some relegation fallout that has already occurred in the about 10 days since the final day, uh, Eddie Howe and Bournemouth uh, reported to have split, and, and it was this was emphasized in pretty much every report under mutual respectful terms. So I'll ask you about that, Adam. I, I think that we both had talked about the fact that it, w- it was kind of, it was time. It was time for Eddie Howe to leave the club. Yeah, I mean, I think between him being a player and being a manager, it's 20 plus years that he's been part of the Bournemouth setup. I think that team could do and that club could do with um, a fresh injection of kind of, of tactics, of a, a new mindset. I think when you think about how far he's taken them, he can hold his head up high and say that, you know, he could be massively proud to take a club as small as Bournemouth, the smallest ever Premier League ground to participate in the Premiership, and take them to several years of Premier League safety, I think is a massive achievement for him on a fairly modest budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think, yeah, hats off to Eddie how he, he did do a great job, but it, I, as we see... You know, in so many times in in football, there there comes a point at which you you do need that kind of fresh injection of energy that, that you just mentioned. I thought that was a good point. Um, but but my concern with Bournemouth is less so on the managerial side and more on the the loss of uh, important players to the side. So the the one that's already left, arguably the the man of the season for Bournemouth was Nathan Aki, the center back, has been purchased for, by. Manchester City for 41 million pounds. Um, so a big signing. Obviously, we, we talked all season about how City needed to solidify their back line, and it seems like they're already taking those steps just weeks into the transfer window. And then the second player who has not left yet, but has been reported to, to be discussing and, and looking for moves out is Callum Wilson. So another player who's been at the club 
for a while and a player who uh, is getting on in years and I, I think from from what I read uh, is looking to play in the Premier League once again to, to hopefully uh, keep England hopes alive. So who do you think is the bigger loss for them? Do you think it's, it's certainly Aki? I think defensively they were weaker than they were in attack, so I think Ake will be the biggest loss there. But it just depends on who leaves Zach, to be honest. Callum Wilson, Josh King, Norwegian striker up top. If they lose both of those, who's scoring the goals, right? Harry Wilson is gone. He was on loan from Liverpool. Good chance David Brooks leaves. Um, I read today Ryan Fraser is also potentially on his way out as well. Like, that's a whole new team. Like, they literally mm-hmm. have nothing left of the team that was playing in the in the Premier League at that point in terms of the real quality in the side. So it's going to be a tough, tough year for Bournemouth next season in the championship. And I think this next managerial appointment, they've probably got to go away from the kind of like traditional British manager and do something akin to what other teams have done in the championship and bring in some kind of European flair in that team and hope that that person and his network can then potentially bring in some new players for Bournemouth to mount a challenge next year. Certainly. Uh, I, I do think it will be a, a hugely rebuilding year for Bournemouth, and it would be surprising in my mind if they made it back up to the Premier League on uh, their first try. Uh, so for, from Bournemouth to a team that has become infamous for managerial changes, Watford, the other side going down on the final day. Uh, clearly, Adam, the, the managerial change with two matches to go, uh, firing uh, Nigel Pearson, not paying off. Um, they died on the final day um what, what is your assessment of what i think was a pretty disastrous season for watford i think it's smacked of desperation from start to finish i think that the ownership there essentially the way that they run their club is that they want to coach they don't want a manager they want somebody in to come in and not necessarily make any transfer decisions but to really kind of try and get the best out of the existing players that they have um they try to you know tried to make these decisions in terms of the managers that they're bringing in to to spark new life into the team. And in the end, four managers in the same season was their downfall. And I feel kind of glad in a way that such awful owners with such awful morals around how their team should be run were found out like the way they were. Hmm. That is a fierce statement from you. I, I like it. Yeah. I mean, I think that the biggest concern with Watford is similar to Bournemouth. A lot of players potentially leaving in the summer. Uh, Troy Deeney, who is the captain of the club, has been with the club for 10 seasons. Had a, had a quite impressive season uh, for a team finishing uh, in 19th. He had 10 goals and 2 assists in 27 matches. Uh, he's been linked with a number of Premier League clubs. Uh, Ismaili Assar, of course. Uh, Decore as well. I think those are the three best players on the club and the three that I most likely see moving on this summer. Yeah, I would agree with you with the younger players. For me personally, I think Troy Deeney is Watford through and through. He's a captain. He's 32 years old. It's not like he's a spring chicken. He's not going to be making a push for the England squad anytime soon. I see him leading Watford in the championship and I see them with an infinitely better chance of rebounding immediately than Bournemouth do next year. Yes, I I agree with that. I, I do agree with that, especially because Saar and DeCorey were players that were only there for, I believe, two seasons. So it wasn't as if they had been building a club around them and then we'll potentially be losing them this summer. Uh, So I agree. I think Bournemouth is a lot bigger of a rebuild project than Watford is. Agree. Yeah. Ishmael Saar, remember, was 30 million signing. Big, big signing for Watford. They're going to want to recoup some money on him. He's not going to sit in the championship. Yeah. I don't think so either, uh, especially being a foreign player, which I do think has a bit of a connotation of not being willing yep. to sit in the second division. I think that's fair 
as well. There's no there's no loyalty there, right? He hasn't been there long enough for there to be a loyalty to Watford. He's going to want to be playing at the highest level. Yeah, as he should. Uh, so from the teams that went down to the, the teams that came up, we, we spoke about West Brom and Leeds, the automatic promotion sides. In our last episode, uh, Fulham cementing their place in the Premier League for, for next season at the, the one team to do the go down, come right back up. Uh, as we've seen the yo-yo trick. So um, we, I guess we recorded our last episode before the playoffs began. Uh, it saw Brentford going up against Cardiff, um, or rather, excuse me, Brentford going up against Swansea and Fulham going up against Cardiff in the semifinals. Brentford and Fulham advance. Uh, and then Fulham with a, a quite exciting 2-1 victory against Brentford uh, in the final in extra time. All goals, uh, obviously, were scored in extra time to gain promotion back to the Premier League. Uh, so, yeah, are, are you excited to see Fulham back, Adam? Or are you upset to not see new faces in Brentford? Um, I think I would say it's a, it's a little bit of both, right? I think Fulham have a really good, strong team. I think they'll compete in the Premier League. I was disappointed for them that they went down last season uh, with all the investment that they have. And you've got to have a little bit of a soft spot for a team that has Scotty Parker as the manager and Mitro as the number nine, right? Definitely always going to be in the hearts of the of the Newcastle faithful. But to, to, your, to your point, I think the best team on the day won. But I personally would have loved to, of course, seen a Walsh team make it into the Premier League again and then Brentford just the fact that they've never been in the Premier League in its history before and are moving to a new stadium that would have been kind of a fairy tale story for them mm-hmm. yeah I, I agree with that I, I think that Fulham deserved the victory they're a much more kind of solidly constructed side um, and uh, I, I will give a shout out to, to Joe Bryan the left back for Fulham who scored both of the goals the, the first of which a incredibly incredibly clever free kick uh, from I, it was probably like 45, 50 yards out. Um, seemed like he would certainly cross it. And I think that uh, right when he was walking up to the free kick, saw that the keeper was was positioning himself for a cross. And he whipped in this delightful free kick, front post, bounce in. Goalie was wrong-footed and stood no chance. And then another goal to, to put the icing on the cake just a few uh, minutes later. So... Yeah, it'll be exciting to see Fulham back. Uh, one thing that I saw on Twitter was a question of now that VAR is in place, how many red cards will Alexander Mitrovic get next season in the Premier League? That guy is a psychopath, Adam. Did you see a leading? <laughs> Absolutely did. In oh, the go, yeah, go ahead. while they were waiting to for Joe Bryan to take that free kick that ended up in a goal, Mitrovic for absolutely no reason just choked and shoved to the ground a Brentford defender and got a yellow card. The, like I just. I, I don't understand him, although he did lead the uh, the championship in scoring last season and was put on the bench. So clearly Scotty Parker does understand how to manage the man. Well, there was an injury that he was trying to come back from in the playoffs, but right before the playoffs, there was a suspension, to your point. So it's not out of his game. Um, I, I think I think back to, and sorry to segue terribly here, but John Joe Shelby is a great example of somebody who's had disciplinary actions in the past, but seems to have come out the other side of it. Mitro does not seem like that at all. Nope. Um, he, he seems like he's not learned from his mistakes. And to your point, VAR in the Premier League, I think I'm going to say it right here, at least three red cards from Mitro in the Premier League. <laughs> Do you think he breaks 10 goals? I think he will. I think he'll get into double figures next year. I think he's got enough talent there that he could do it. I'll put, I'll put $5 on that. That he won't? Yeah, I don't think he will. Shame on you. 
Call yourself a Newcastle fan. Come on. I've, I literally for years have said that I was at no point an Alexander Mitrovic fan. <laughs> so don't, don't act like I'm surprising you here. To your credit, that's true. You have said that. Um, yeah, okay. I'll take that bet. $5. 10 All goals right. for Mitro next season. Let's right. hope he doesn't get sent off three times then because that would definitely put pay to that. There it is. Nine, uh, match, nine matches that he won't play right off the bat. <laughs> two, two quick thoughts um, that I have. Just looking at that game, they, they Fulham, brought Knockart and Mitrovic off the bench um, in the second half in an extra time. In- incredible bench strength for a championship team to be able to call up on talent like that. And then the last point is Brentford plus playoffs equals disaster. Um, Brentford have been in the playoffs in League One and the championship nine times, seven times in League One, two times in the championship. They've lost five semifinals and four finals. So basically, as soon as they did knew they didn't qualify automatically for the Premier League on the final day, they knew they were screwed. Brentford, playoffs, no good. I mean, they did shoot themselves so dramatically in the foot, not making the automatic promotion when they literally had it presented on a silver platter in front of them. So Twice. Oof. Yeah, twice. I know. It's that's a brutal one. That's tough to rebound from. Uh but yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see Craven Cottage, possibly the best named stadium mm-hmm. in England, back in the Premier League next season. Yeah, good to see good to see Fulham back, I think, at their core. They're they're deserving of their place, especially based on that performance. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, we are gonna take a quick commercial break uh and then we will be back to dive into the European football that's coming up this week. Be right back. All right, welcome back to the False Nines. This is your favorite co-host, Adam, leading you into our next section where we're going to talk a little bit about the Europa League. Zach, are you ready to talk a little bit about your favorite European competition here? I cannot wait to talk about my favorite European competition right here. Fantastic. All right, well, let's get started then. Um, I'm going to just give you a little bit of brief uh, overview of who we've got left from the English side. Manchester United and Wolves are the two remaining English sides. Rangers are still in it, but let's be honest, they're out. They lost at home 3-1 to Leverkusen in the first leg. So um, in terms of today, we did have some European fixtures. Menu were a 5-0 up away from home in the first leg against FC Lask of Austria and won 2-1 today with what can be really described as their B team. Um, they had Icalo up front, pretty comfortable for them. They brought Martial off the bench. He scored a goal, uh, but they didn't bother to bring on Greenwood and they didn't bother to bring on um, Rashford either. So pretty comfortable for Manchester United through to the next round. As we mentioned earlier in the pod, Wolves are playing against Olympiacos on Thursday of this week. Um, So that may have already happened by the time you listen to this podcast. The first game was a 1-1 draw in Greece. Wolves nabbed an away goal. Do you think Wolves can progress past Olympiakos, who for all intents and purposes are a decent side, Zach? I do, because I think that Wolves uh, are a team that is constructed on confidence and uh, believing that they will always score goals. So I think that Wolves will go through. I think what might be a bigger and tougher prospect for them, though, Zach, is they would play the winner of the Sevilla versus Roma match. That, that one's a one-off because we didn't have a first leg in that competition. But Sevilla... Uh, Roma have a great history, but Sevilla, in terms of the Europa League and the UEFA Cup, have a, an even better one, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Yep, the the winningest team in Europa League or the former iterations of Europa League history. Uh, so, yeah, I think that 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 game is a that game is a Champions League junior style game, Sevilla versus Roma. 
Yeah, so to that point, if Wolves are going to win it and get into the Champions League for next season, they're going to have to do it the hard way, beating a team like Olympiacos, then the winners of the Sevilla-Roma game. And I just wanted to touch on the remaining front runners as I see them for the um, Europa League, specifically Manchester United and Wolves, of course, um, strong English teams are, are some of the favorites there. Leverkusen, well-established team. FC Basel have played the Champions League many times. Shakhtar Donetsk, impressive win today. They're through as well. And then, of course, the winner of Roma versus Sevilla. And then Inter Milan are still in the Europa League too. So, for me, a lot of interest in the Europa League still. Some top teams in it. Uh, let's hope an English team can can pull it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that it yeah, a lot of talented teams as you said a lot of teams that or a number of teams that qualified for the champions league in their respective league so i think that that speaks to the quality left inter manchester united Shakhtar Donetsk, uh, basel all teams of that nature um do you, i for some reason i have this vivid memory of when mohammed salah was just this young starlet for basel who was getting a little bit of attention i, I miss those days those were simpler times simpler times indeed before we even knew what COVID-19 was. Um, True. Yes, definitely. Wow, you definitely made that real. You made times. that very real just now. Uh, I'm all about being real with our listeners, Zach. That's that's something that that's, I pride myself you, on. Speaking of being real with our <laughs> listeners, I want to take them back to 2005. <laughs> that was an insane uh, transition. Related, <laughs> related to the UEFA Cup and related to what is now the Europa League, I've actually seen Manchester United's quarterfinal opponents, FC Copenhagen, play in the UEFA Cup. And ask me how, Zach. Adam, how in the world have you see, seen FC Copenhagen play despite never being a resident of Copenhagen or any other Den- uh, Danish city? These are all true facts. So the reason I've seen them play, Zach, is because Camarlin Town, my beloved hometown team, actually won the Welsh Cup in 2004 and subsequently qualified for the UEFA Cup and were playing in the qualifiers. They lost 2-0 in both legs, both in Denmark cost them a lot of money to travel to Denmark, I'll tell you that. And then playing at home in the second leg against FC Copenhagen, they lost 2-0. One of my favorite things about this was the report from BBC Sport. And this is a direct quote that I'll read you right now, just to placate me a second. At halftime, Camarden manager Mark Jones sent on striker Craig Hughes, a convicted hooligan who was only released from prison a week ago. But he struggled to make an impact. Isn't that the greatest quote in all of journalism history? I like how I like the, the the use of the word but in front of he struggled to make an impact, implying that based on what you just read about the player, you would have expected him to make an instant impact when coming on. <laughs> that is an excellent point. It's just there's it's like the praise sandwich, right? Except it's the disappointment sandwich oh, just wrapped goodness. around like this amazing like convicted hooligan only released from prison a week ago, determined to turn it around and score and take Kamarthen through to the next round of the UEFA Cup. But sadly, it didn't work out, my friend. That is a, if that's not a low budget football movie in the making, I don't know what is. (laughs) I have no idea what he did with his career either. I'll I'll ask my dad, he probably remembers. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, again, certainly a, a number of Good teams left in the Europa League. Uh, I definitely would love to see Wolves make a run just because uh, Manchester United, the other uh, English team, already has solidified Champions League space or a place. So Wolves definitely have a lot to play for. But you're right, it will be a tough time for them going past Sevilla or Roma if they can beat Olympiacos uh, today. Yep, absolutely. 
Alright, let's pivot into the Champions League then, the pinnacle, if you will, of European football. Uh, we've got a lot still to play for here, Zach, including some second leg fixtures uh, before we get to the quarterfinal stage. So this should be very, very interesting. Uh, Friday of this week, Manchester City, they won 2-1 in Madrid in the Bernabeu, and they are taking it back to the city of Manchester Stadium on Friday. We also have on Friday night Juventus, who um, surprisingly lost, I would say. I'm a Leon fan. I lived there um, during a year in college, so I'm a big Leon fan as well. They're my Ligue 1 team. But they beat Juventus 1-0 in France in the first leg, so Juventus have to try and claw that back. They probably will. Then on Saturday, we get Barcelona versus Napoli. 1-1 draw in Napoli for that first one. Barca with the away goal. And then, of course, we talked about it a little bit earlier. Bayern versus Chelsea. It's going to be really, really interesting, that one. 3-0 down from the first leg at home. Do Chelsea have it in them to pull off a shot and come back in that game? No. Of all the matches that you say is interesting why did you pick the, the match where chelsea is down three 0 to one of the best teams in europe and have lost i was three trying to keep it sus- i was uh, trying to keep it suspenseful like what are you talking about uh no yeah it's 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 pretty much done yeah and they've and they've got one of the best strikers in all of europe and Lewandowski as well so it's gonna be it's gonna be Byron all the way he'll have a nice time playing against the chelsea back line uh, especially without as who as you mentioned will be injured for that match exactly oh, yeah clever yep but yeah, cool. yeah. All right, so yep, go ahead. On to, on to, on to Leon versus Juventus. What are your thoughts on on that one? Do you think that this is something that Leon can potentially seal if they get an away goal? It's going to be very interesting there. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say that uh, Juventus is a team brimming with confidence, uh, winning uh, the the Serie A for the what the, this year was the Scudetto, so it was it was eight years in a row. Um, I believe. Uh, And yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo, I read some incredible statistics saying that Cristiano Ronaldo is the only player ever to score 50 goals in the Premier League, 50 goals in La Liga, and 50 goals in Serie A, uh, which is a pretty remarkable thing to hear. The man just does not age. He doesn't age at all. Um, I, I think that you'd have to put your money on Juventus here to to claw back, but again, as you said, it'll be interesting to see how Leon sets up and what the tactics are, if they're going to try to park the bus or if they're going to go for broke and go for that away goal that would really you know, make this an uphill battle for Juventus. Yeah, there's definitely a golfing class there between the two teams, so it'll be an interesting one for sure, especially with Leon having the advantage from the first leg. So the third game here, Barcelona-Napoli, I think probably we both agree that this is really Barcelona's to lose. Yeah, I, I think that if this match was held six months ago, it would be a lot more interesting. But Napoli, who who was in the you know kind of neck and neck with Inter Milan and Juventus uh, for the Serie A uh, title earlier in the season, really fell off and and kind of had a, a a bit of a Leicester esque uh, drop in form in the second half. They finished seventh in Serie A. I, I do think that Barcelona, uh, despite also not playing terribly well towards the end of the season are still Barcelona and should be expected to win this match. So perhaps the most contentious in terms of opinions on who might win this fixture left is Manchester City versus Real Madrid. 2-1 win for Manchester City, a a real landmark win for them in the Champions League. Can they see it off and clinch their spot in the last eight against Real? I think they can, and I think the biggest reason for that is that Sergio Ramos 
got a red card in the first leg of this fixture and so consequently will not be playing uh, in the match on Friday and I think that that is the biggest that is, that is the worst possible thing that could happen to Real Madrid is to lose their captain Sergio Ramos yep that's a great point and I, th- I think Manchester City they're not going to be kept off the score sheet they have too much attacking talent for Real Madrid to keep a clean sheet so um, realistically Real Madrid have got to go there and they've got to win and they've got to win probably um, by by scoring several goals. I don't know if we're going to see that from Real Madrid in the city of Manchester City. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that it, interestingly enough, uh, despite the fact that Manchester City, you know, fell miserably short of uh, repeating as Premier League champions, I think that they ended the season on potentially the most momentum, the highest momentum of any team in the Premier League, uh, scoring for fun. And it does seem like Pep has them playing almost like angry football right now. With and, and But what I mean by that is, you know, when they start scoring, they just want, they, they want to, you know, throw your head into the wall time and time again. They have no interest in letting up their pressure. Um, so, yeah, my money is certainly on Manchester City. Yeah, I think I, I would tend to agree with you there. Great, so those are the kind of one side of the draw, the top half of the draw, if you will, the second legs that still need to be played. The bottom half of the draw is has already been decided. So we have Red Bull Leipzig playing against Atletico Madrid, and then we have Atalanta, who one of the shocks of the tournament for me, playing against PSG. Interesting, right? So I think you look at that top half of the draw that we just discussed, there could potentially be Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Manchester City, Juventus in that top half. And then you look at the bottom half and it's a little underwhelming somewhat. Red Bull Leipzig against Atletico Madrid and Atalanta versus PSG. Who's your favorite to make it out of that half of the draw, Zach, and make it through to the final? I mean, I I think that, you know, PSG is a... Uh, a team that has become a bit infamous for running away with League 1 and then falling apart in the Champions League, still has not won the Champions League. But, I mean, they, they are licking their lips right now with the prospect of, of having to play those three teams in order to get to the final. RB Leipzig, I think, hurt so, so heavily by the fact that they have now lost Timo Werner via transfer to Chelsea, and he will not be playing in this Champions League match for them, despite the fact that he played his entire season for the club. Um, I think that it really is, at the moment, PSG's kind of spot in the final to lose. Yeah, I I would say that I agree with you in that PSG are the favorites, but don't forget Atletico Madrid are the team that knocked out the champions Liverpool. So they are no mugs. They will be tough to beat. I see them advancing past Leipzig. And I think it'll be a pretty interesting um, kind of semi-final, if you will, between um, Atletico Madrid and potentially PSG. But let's not rule out Atalanta. They've had a fantastic season. They've overachieved, certainly. And to see a team like that really make their way through after... All of the all of the things that have happened in the last few months here with the coronavirus. I don't know if you remember that game with Valencia. That was kind of really classed mm-hmm. as kind of game zero in terms of the coronavirus and the, the start of the outbreak in Italy. So lots on the line emotionally and in terms of like um, in terms of getting them through to the next round in this game against PSG. I'd love to see them. They'd be my sleeper pick for the uh, for the Champions League if you will. Oh, absolutely. And the, and the incredible thing about Atalanta is they just score in absolute bunches. 98 goals in Serie A 
this season, the most uh, in the league by a margin of 17 goals over uh, Inter Milan, who had the second most goals this past season, uh, and a team that you know European competition-wise, not a lot of not a lot of teams know about. They haven't been in the Champions League in quite a long time, but uh, a team that has to be brimming with confidence at the moment. So I, I do agree with you. I think that I will double down on my statement that this is PSG's spot in the final to lose, but I, I don't think it'll be an easy road to the final, um, either through Atalanta uh, or Atletico Madrid, who I do think will will walk past RB Leipzig. Yep. Do you think uh, there's a chance that PSG could win the whole thing? Pro- they've probably never had a better chance in my eyes. Yeah, I, I do think so. I think that they've gotten a number of players back from injury, largely due to the uh, elongated break in the season. Um, and I do think that you know they, they have to be licking their lips right now and understanding that, that this is their chance. So, uh, I mean, the only I, I agree with you, though. I think that Atletico Madrid and Diego Simeone knows how to play tactical football. He knows how to play effective football to win uh, that one nil uh, win in the first leg against Liverpool and then the 2-1 comeback victory in the second leg to solidify their place in the round of 16 was a, a tactical masterclass in my mind. So, um, yeah, a lot of trapdoors here for PSG if they if they think that they can walk to the final. It's going to be a fascinating next few weeks. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, the other side of that, that bracket, though, is just as fascinating and has kind of those bigger names that you expect to see in the quarterfinals and, and just deeper in the Champions League. Uh, Chelsea going up against Bayern Munich, Napoli against Barca, Lyon, Juventus, and Real against Manchester City, as we've talked about. So regardless of who wins the second legs, as we just kind of predicted who we think will win those legs, you're, you're going to see a team that has you know, gone far and, and have even multiple victories in the Champions League advancing to the next round. Yep, yep, totally agree. Um, so it's going to be, if you had to put your money on it right now, who's winning it all, Zach? Manchester City. I agree. I think that this is their year. I think that the potential ban that was rescinded has given them the added impetus to say, you know, there's never a better time than this. They're playing fantastic football. They've got some defensive players back. Um, they're the team to beat for me. How how apropos would it be if they faced Bayern Munich in the semifinal and Leroy Sané went up against a team that he played for just two months ago? <laughs> yeah, it would be <laughs> it would be quite interesting if that happened for sure. I think you know just think about Pep, right? He's he's got so much great history with the Barcelonas that he's managed, the Bayern Munichs that he's managed. It's it's going to be potentially if it ends up being Barcelona versus Bayern, Pep's going to face one of his old teams if he makes it through the mm-hmm. next round. It's it's so. it's Pep Guardiola's world, and we're all just living in it. Yep, we are. But the small minions here. Yes, one day, one day, Adam. Well, when you manage Carmarthen Town, we we will put you on that pedestal. We will take over the world. This is true. That's true. Um, <laughs> just, just kidding, listeners. We're not trying to take over the world. Uh, all right. Uh, do you want to take one more quick commercial break, and then we'll close it out with 1090? Let's do it. I got some zingers for you in 1090, Zach. Get oh ready. God, I'm so excited. I am going to stump the living hell out of you this week. <laughs> Can't wait. All right. We'll be right back. All right. And we are back with our final segment of the day. It's 10 and 90, as it always is. Uh, and Adam, let's let's start with your questions. I have a high hope for myself that I will go five for five today. 
Okay. Well, you're gonna you got an incrementally better chance, uh, I would say, Zach, because I tried something last time on ten and ninety. I gave you a true or false question. So I've decided to go with the true or false theme this week as well. All five of my questions for you will be true or false oh questions. God. So you got a fifty fifty shot here. Ooh, I and this this is the uh I, I am PSG, and this is my chance to finally win it. <laughs> my, I have a theme as well. My theme this week is um, retiring goalkeeper Ike Casillas. So um, he retired this week from football, um, had a heart attack a year ago. Um, I think probably the right time to retire from the game. Um, credible career. But I've got some true or false questions on Ike Casillas' career for you, Zach. You ready? Oh, I like this. Yeah, let's go for it. All right. True or false, despite being recognized as one of the greatest goalkeepers of all time, Casillas has never in his career commanded a transfer fee. Huh. True. Because he he always played for Real Madrid, and then he left on a free to go to Porto. You're absolutely right. He started with Real Madrid youth, um, and then moved on a free transfer to Porto in 2015, correct? Oh, that is a... That is... Oh, I really like that one. Oh, man, yeah. I'm, in, I'm impressed. There you go. All right, I'll, I'll see if I can keep it up with question two then. True or false, with 167 caps for Spain, Ike Casillas is the most capped Spanish international of all time. I feel like I, I don't know who would be the highest capped Spanish. No, I'm going to go with true, actually. I'm going to go with true. False. Sergio Damn. Ramos has 170 caps. I just played caps. myself. I totally just counting. played myself. Uh, <laughs> all right. So you're one for two here. He's actually got three more caps, and Ramos obviously is still playing too. True or false, Ike Casillas has made the most Champions League appearances of any player of all time with 177. There's no way he's played 177 Champions League matches. Casillas. Uh, that's a fact. Ike Casillas has played 177. Oh, oh that's Champions. not what I'm debating. Okay. No, you're debating whether or not he is the most. He has the uh, most appearances of all time with 177. True or false? True. Correct. Cristiano Ronaldo's in second place. He has 169 appearances and counting. Obviously, if he mm. plays another season, he'll surpass that. But right now, Casillas holds the record with 177. Okay. True or false, Zach? Ike Casillas is younger than me. <laughs> uh, uh, true <laughs> fuck you <laughs> false he's 39 and he's 14 months older than I am <laughs> I just set you up perfectly there so I'm glad that you took advantage uh, of it there was no way I was going to ever say false to that <laughs> question <laughs> alright so 2 of 4 so let's see if you can do plus 500 here on your fifth question okay true true or false Ike Casillas holds the record for most Real Madrid appearances with 725 appearances from 1999 to 2015 those are facts uh-huh. but does he hold the record for most appearances is that one false that one is false do you happen to know who has the most appearances for Real Madrid is it a goalkeeper? I mean, I feel like it has to... No? Is it Di Stefano? No. It's much more recent than that. Raul. 1994 oh, okay. to 2010. 741 appearances. 16 more than Casillas. If he'd stayed on one more season, he would have probably taken that mantle from Raul. But Raul, an amazing player. Also an amazing Champions League player, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, All right. My bonus question for you, as always, Zach. 
Please pronounce this Welsh word. I'll spell it for you. T-W-M-F-F-A-T. T-W-M-F-F-A-T. Heavy on the consonants. T-W-M-F-F-A-T. Trimfat. <laughs> it's tumfat. Oh, I feel like I put the emphasis on the wrong end there. Okay. Tum, tumfat. Tumfat. Do you know what tumfat is? Uh, I think that that means most appearances in Real Madrid Champions League history. I'm afraid it's actually what you are, Zach. It's an idiot for getting it wrong. It's an idiot. Oh, no. <laughs> it's my revenge for the 39 uh, yeah, <laughs> true or that, false question. Uh, well, if you set yourself up, don't expect me to not, not hit the ball out of the park. Oh, I totally expected you to say it. It was great. All right. That was good. Uh, Iker Casillas also subject to one of the funniest meme sequences I've ever seen, which is... Have you ever seen this, Adam? It's paparazzi taking... It's four pictures of Iker Casillas walking his dog. It's an amazing story in four photos. The first photo (laughs) is him... I've not seen this. The first photo is him casually walking his dog. The second photo is him, like, putting the key into the the gate to his apartment with his dog standing next to him. The third photo is the dog running away and him sprinting after the dog. And the fourth photo is him carrying what must be a 100-pound dog in his arms with the dog smiling back to his apartment. And it is just an incredible <laughs> sequence of photos. I highly recommend finding it. I will have to check that out for sure. Yeah. All right. Maybe, maybe I will make that the icon photo for this specific episode of The False Nines. Do it. I'm down. Okay. <laughs> All right, Adam. So I've bragged quite a bit about my 10 and 90 questions this week. I did some heavy, heavy digging and I'm interested to see how you perform, as there is no consistent theme this week. Are they stat-based then, Zach, if you've done blog digging? All but the first one. So we'll start right. with the first one, the one hypothetical that I have for you this week. Question number one, Adam Goffin. Uh, who do you think would win in an arm wrestle match? Adama Traore or Adebayo Akinfenwa? Friend of the pod, Adebayo Akinfenwa, of course. Okay. Just hey, I need to say up. that one more time so the people in the back hear me, Zach. Adebayo Akinfenwa would win that arm wrestling match. You dig? You get me? A hint of what is to come right there. Uh, all right, so so question number two, Adam, and now we're going to turn to our, our stats here. Uh, Leon, who is still in the Champions League, as we've spoken about, uh, has won a single international title in the club's 70-year history. What cup did they win, and in what year? And I'll give you, say I'll give you seven years on either side. Oh, shoot. And I'll give you a clue. It is a cup that, by the name of the cup, does not currently exist right now. The name of this cup is not... Oh, no, I I knew that. So I studied in Leon for several... Uh, months I back back in you, my twenties, you did been to Stadtgerland multiple times. Uh, it's definitely not during that time. They were very successful in the league. They won league many times, but they didn't win in Europe. So it's definitely before that. Uh, cup winners cup. What year? Is that correct? No. Dang it! But very close. <laughs> okay. Um, let's go with during the 80s. 87. Ooh, you missed it by three years given the, the, uh, the buffer I gave you. In 1997, Leon was the champion of the Intertoto Cup. 
<laughs> God damn it. I knew as soon as you were saying it. Uh, of course. Hoist uh, by my own petard. Uh, yes, just like former Newcastle legend Scotty Parker, they have host, hoisted the Intertoto Cup. That's what they got in common, my friend. I uh, love it. Okay, uh, now I'm going to get wordy here, Adam. Uh, so question number three. I'm going to ask you this, uh, again, uh, about the uh, European competition. How many teams have won the Champions League three consecutive times? Who are they? And in what decades did they accomplish this feat? So, <laughs> so you know, break this down. So, Adam, how many teams have won the Champions League three consecutive times? Zidane did it with Real Madrid. Okay. That, yeah, during the 2010s. Correct. AC Milan? Incorrect. Hmm. I don't think Barcelona have done it. Is that correct? Nope. Barcelona? Nope. One of them is a team still in the Champions League this year, and one of them is not. Based on the remaining teams, I would say Bayern Munich is probably the most likely. Correct. What decade was that, do you think? 80s? 70s, 74 to 76. Okay, and you're saying the last the last one, team is not in it currently. One more guess, yeah. Hmm. Go with Inter. It is Ajax, and they wow, actually okay. they actually interestingly enough won it the three years prior to Bayern Munich's three peat. So from 1971. To 1976, it was Ajax three years in a row, and then Bayern Munich three years in a row. Good statistics, sir. Well played. All right, Adam. And now comes the heaviest hitting question of the night. Moving to the Europa League. Question number four. Adam, there are five English clubs that have won the Europa League since its founding in 1971. Obviously, it's gone through a number of name changes, but the tournament in essence, was founded in 1971, and five English clubs have won it since then. One of those five English clubs is not currently in the Premier League. Who is that club? And before you tell me that there are a lot of options here, I have two hints for you. So you can elect to use your hints, or you can go off the cuff, but I think you will want to use the hints, because I did a lot of research, and I want to use the, uh, share the hints with you. Can but I can I throw out a guess? You right can throw out a guess first, correct. I think it's Ipswich Town. Well, Adam, uh, that ruins everything for me because that is the correct <laughs> answer. How yeah, did you, my dad's how, my dad's a Norwich fan. My dad's a Norwich fan. Norwich and Ipswich hate each other, and I remember seeing that statistic before that they'd Damn won that. It. Oh, I was I was so excited to share my clues with you. Mm-hmm. Well, there you, you want, go. Question you want, five, please. Do you want to know the clues or no? No. Nope. Move on. Ah, that really breaks my heart. Um, okay, question number five. Uh, uh, how many teams have ever played in the Europa League? And I will give you seventy. I will give you seventy-five on either side. Are you saying the Europa League? Or are you including since, since the its founding? From since its founding in nineteen seventy-one, how many European clubs have ever played a match in the Europa League? And we're talking about like qualifying rounds all of that correct like e- ever, not just like third ever, round onwards. Pl- ever played a match in anything that's considered uh, Europa league or its predecessor that's a horrible question 
I'm gonna go with 650. <laughs> the beauty of that is that is a good guess, but not even remotely close. The answer is, is nine hundred and eighty-three different clubs have participated in the Europa League. <laughs> Where did you even find that stat? That's great. I can't tell my sources. All right, Ipswich Town, Zach. <laughs> I'm so mad about that. I was so proud about that question. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, darn it. Um, yeah, Ipswich had a good team back in the day. Yeah, way, way back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. All right, well, that will close it out for, for 10 and 90, but uh, we, we do have a, a little bit of uh, kind of exciting uh, final uh, cap to the episode, uh, and that is previewing the next episode. So uh, if your ears were keen enough, you may have noticed at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that uh, today is the 49th episode of The False Nines. Uh, and after crunching the numbers, I realized that means that next episode will be the 50th episode. So um, due to the arbitrary significance of numbers, 50 is a very uh, monumental episode of this podcast, halfway to triple digits for um, a, a piece of media that I started about two years ago in my bedroom and had an average of two listeners for the first three months of its creation that is a true fact um and one of those listeners was my mom so to celebrate this monumental episode we're going to be doing it big we're going to be doing our premier league season recap uh and we'll have uh multiple special guests for the episode uh including three ideally three different friends of the pod if not more um and yeah going to be bringing a, a really really exciting episode talking about the end of the premier league season uh, recapping some of the European games that have taken place and just having a jolly good time. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. We may even get into the sad topic of the Newcastle failed takeover, as we didn't mention it today. But I think for, for now, we wanted to just kind of be on a high as the end of season was finishing. Looking forward to uh, number 50, Zach. It's a, it's a heck of a milestone. Congratulations to you who, who founded the podcast. You invited me to come along. Um, a little under halfway through those 50 episodes and uh, I've been I've been really blessed to be a part of it so thanks for thanks for making it special we've, we've come a long way baby we have and we have a long way still to go uh, so yeah we'll, <laughs> we'll be an exciting episode Adam and I might meet up for this one do a socially distant live episode uh, from the garden uh, which will will be a, a fun one so yeah, stay tuned for not Madison, not Madison Square Garden. From so, Madison so you know Square, listeners. that is the secret that I was trying to hold back. We will be booking out Madison Square Garden for the final episode. Um, but yeah, it, it should be a good one. Cool. Looking forward to it, Zach. Until next time. Footy. Footy. See you later. <laughs>